Hello, well today we're going to try and tackle quite a difficult question on philosophy of religion. Evaluate the philosophical problems raised by the belief that God is eternal. Now these philosophical problems, as you may have noticed, they exist because theologians are attempting to reconcile various attributes of God in order to form a coherent picture. But we need to be aware that, in a sense, the debate has tended to line up a set of opposites. So you've got a Platonic view of the world, taken by Boethius and Aquinas, which argues that God's perfection requires his immutability, the idea that God cannot change. And that is set against an argument produced by Tillich or Barth or somebody I'm going to consider in a moment, Swinburne, that God is actually involved with humankind, that eternity, the eternal God therefore must be allowed to answer prayer, to get involved with the creation, to participate and design the incarnation of Jesus Christ, which after all was an enormous eruption into the temporal sphere of our own creation. So one way of answering this is to analyse and evaluate Boethius and then compare Boethius, or if you prefer, take Aquinas, with Swinburne's argument in, for example, his book, The God of Theism. Which argument do we find most compelling and why? But another way to present our thesis is to argue that the set of polar opposites is actually misconceived and that a third way opens up with what is called process theology. And if you're interested in taking this approach in your thesis statement, I have posted an extract from Charles Hartshorn's article on the website whose conclusion is, roughly speaking, that God's perfection requires both some of these abstract qualities and his contingent activity and intervention in the world. Quite an interesting argument. Now, eternal is an ambiguous idea, and indeed, most of the ideas involved in this debate have got different definitions. So, it's an idea that differs between Swinburne's idea that the eternal means everlasting but still involved in time, and Boethius, Anselm and Aquinas' idea that eternal means timeless. And we need to explain how an eternal God would have unlimited omniscience, unlimited knowledge, and how this causes conflict with human free will, and how we uh, are going to uh, consider Boethius' reply to this problem. Now the psalmist, for example, writes, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be, Psalm 139, verse 16. But if God has foreknowledge, if he knows everything, why doesn't he stop me self-destructing by stepping out in front of a lorry? If God knows I'm about to sin by stealing something, why doesn't God just remove the temptation? This is the problem, the philosophical problem of foreknowledge. 
and in Consolations of Philosophy, Boethius accepts the argument but denies that omniscience, perfect knowledge, includes foreknowledge. Instead, God's perspective, says Boethius, is that of eternity, that is, the whole simultaneous and perfect possession of unbounded life, famous quote. In other words, God sees everything that ever happens all at once, so he does not, strictly speaking, know things ahead of time. That becomes a rather nonsensical idea. The analogy here is often taken of a road, and if we are, as human beings, on the road, moving forward, God is above the road, looking down and seeing the whole road, the whole journey, in an instant, as it were, in inverted commas. Aquinas, by the way, agrees with this view. God, he wrote, is without beginning or end, having his whole being at once, and in this consists the nature of eternity. Close quote. Now, in contrast to this, we could consider the view of Richard Swinburne. He wrote, I quote, In my opinion, the timeless view is incompatible with everything else that religious believers have wanted to say about God. For example, it does seem strongly that God being omniscient entails that he hears the prayers of humans at the same time as they utter them. Yet on the timeless view, God does not exist at the same time as simultaneously with any moment in our time scale. That's a quote from Was Jesus God, page 12. Now, in the Bible, God is definitely, so it appears, within time, intervening consistently, and also even changes his mind. Exodus 32, verse 14, when Moses uh, comes back from the mountain and sees the monstrous sin of the creation of a golden calf to worship, he persuades God to change his mind, and the verse says this, and the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. So to sum up, if God is everlasting, we still have the problem of explaining how a good God who foreknows everything doesn't stop bad things happening within time. If God is timeless, we have another difficulty showing how God can be with us within time, answering our prayers and guiding us to a right decision. Moreover, can God really love us if he allows us to blunder through life unaided by his support and guidance? And our final problem is this. Which view is really truer to the Bible and to the story of the incarnation of Christ, which after all is the theme of the New Testament? Now, Boethius links his idea about God's timelessness deliberately with the platonic world of the forms. He says, I quote, For it is one thing to progress like the world in Plato's theory through everlasting life, and another thing to embrace the whole of everlasting life in one simultaneous present. And of course it is that one simultaneous present that Boethius is arguing for in Consolations. So Plato in his theory of the forms, contrasts the eternal changeless forms with the time-bound created world, the world of the shadows, the world of change, of becoming, 
And it's that idea of change that Aquinas and Boethius link to ideas of imperfection. Hence, they take refuge in this idea of the timeless God. But evaluating this, it does seem to suggest that our prayers are irrelevant, as God cannot answer them within time. So Boethius's argument, in a sense, protects God's omniscience as he has defined it, but seems to sacrifice something of God's omnipotence, because he's not acting continually, he's not able to do that. And also you could say God's omnibenevolence, because what loving father would leave his children to mess up and to suffer in the way that we do and just kind of look on from some distant throne? And in The God of Philosophers, Anthony Kenny also counters Boethius' idea of arguing that it is incoherent to say all time, because uh, he argues that it is incoherent to say all time passes at once for God, because time by definition, can only pass chronologically, one step at a time, as it were. And Kenny mocks Boethius's concept of God, saying, The great fire of Rome is simultaneous with the whole of eternity. Therefore, while I type these words, Nero fiddles heartlessly on. Close quote. So, we come again to evaluating Richard Swinburne's argument for an everlasting God within time. Because if you remember, Swinburne doesn't like the idea of this impersonal God. He sees God as, I quote, the personal ground of our being, who is consistently involved with us through acts of love. And Swinburne also criticised the notion that God is immutable. Because Swinburne argues that love requires change and points out examples of God appearing to change and to react, uh, such as the example of Hezekiah, who prays to God to extend his life and has his life extended by no less than 15 years. But we also, of course, as we go along, need to evaluate Swinburne. Can a perfect God really change his mind, as the Bible suggests? Is God really open to persuasion by prayer? If so, where is God's justice, for example, if I happen to have no one to intercede for me? Notice in passing, as I mentioned earlier, that both Tillich and Bath are on the side of Swinburne, so there's two more scholars that you need to perhaps invoke if you feel you have the time. So as we answer this question, we do need a clear thesis statement. We might want to conclude that God is eternal, but not the eternal described by Boethius and Aquinas. That's the view of Swinburne. We might want to conclude that God is timeless, as Boethius argues, because God's timelessness resolves God's, the problem of God's perfection. Because God becomes unchangeable, omniscient in the way defined by Boethius. And of course, it retains our freedom to choose. Okay, you might want to argue that. Or you might want to argue, finally, that there is a third way presented by process theologians, that the polarised debate forces the answer in one of two directions, the Boethian direction or the Swinburne direction. But God's perfection 
requires that we hang on to a kind of a paradox according to process theologians, because their argument is that according to the Bible, God is deeply involved with this, and that Jesus Christ bursts into the world as a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief, and involved both with ourselves and with our suffering. Now, I wouldn't attempt this essay really without carefully plotting a structure of thought, thinking carefully through a kind of qualified thesis statement. And you can find a lot of help for this on the PEPED website. You can read an extract from Swinburne, Aquinas, Anselm. You can even read Boethius's Consolations, the relevant part. And you can also, if you want to take that third way approach in your thesis, the process theologian's approach, you can read an extract from one of Hartshorn's articles. Remember, we need a strong thesis and not just to sit on the fence.